0: Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. While you were sleeping, the dream nearly died. And then Kevin Durant made sure it didn't. And the U.S. rallies and goes to the gold medal game at the Olympics. They were down 15 to Australia in the second quarter. And then they went on a... 25-4 25-4 to four run, a 48-14 to 14 run. There were all kinds of runs in there. Pick your favorite numbers. The U.S. just dominated, and they win going away. It ends up looking like a blowout. No one looks at the final score, I'll ever know, that the U.S. was in trouble. Down three at the half, they had already started to rally. So they got a little scared, but now they move on to the gold medal game. Uh, a couple other things going on. The Utes. Meeting with the media, starting practice, a lot of interviews up at 1280thezone.com. You can check them all out there. Here are a few words from Kyle Woodingham, the head coach, as he meets with the media. How did day one go?
1: Well, good. It was good just to be out there and not have masks on and and all that stuff that uh, we dealt with over the past year. So it was a uh, spirited practice, as you'd expect, on day one. Uh, we got a lot of guys that are, that are back from injuries that appear to be all the way back and healthy, Cam Rising being one of those guys. And so uh, a lot of positive things, but we got a lot of work to do, and we got 24 practices to, to get it done in. So we've got a work cut out for us. Where is Cam as far as his injuries? Is he 100%? 100%. Yep, looked great today, looked like his old self, and uh, I detected no lack of arm strength. He took every rep that he was supposed to take and uh, said he felt great.
0: And then uh, Mac, Max Dupuy hes not on
1: the roster, is there? No, it doesn't look like Max will be with us this year, and so that's unfortunate, and uh, we'll miss him. But uh, it's—he's going to—he's going to be uh, not with us as far as. Uh, playing for
0: us. last year you waited till the first game to to announce who you're, well, not even really announced but trot him out on the field for your starting qb are you going to have a similar plan this year what
1: you know i haven't thought that far ahead with the announcement uh, we're just trying to get the the competition up and going and and uh, start the evaluations and uh, once we get close to naming the guy, then we'll talk about how we're going to handle that. So I couldn't give you a good answer right now. How'd your running backs look on day one? Really good, really good. Tavian Thomas is a great addition. He's out of shape, but he's 240 pounds, about 6'3", and, and uh, he probably needs to drop 15 pounds, but but uh, he looked really good today. T.J. Pledger looked good. Chris Curry looked good. Makai Bernard looked good. And so uh, we think we've got a pretty good stable of, of backs to draw from.
2: Is the approach this year kind of like it was in camp
0: last year where you didn't have a lead guy? Yep. just let it play
1: out? At, at this point, you know, we got a lot of football left before we line up and play, a lot of practices. But at, right now, if we went into a game, we'd have four guys that uh, would get reps.
0: Are there things individually that stand out about those
1: running backs? Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. Tavian's just a big – he's like the, uh, the back from Tennessee. I mean, that's his style, just a big uh, physical uh, – you know, runner that's got speed to get to the outside. Chris Curry, uh, more of a, a scat back, more like what we had in John White several years ago. Or, excuse me, T.J. Pledger. Uh, Chris Curry's a bigger back. Um, he's a, a lot like Tavion, not quite as big, but uh, same style. And then Mackay Bernard is uh, just a terrific athlete. He's got uh, a great set of hands. Could play wide receiver if we needed him to. He's He's got that skill set, so he's a guy that uh, really is... Uh, has a lot, he's multi-talented so all four of them bring something different to the table and, and uh, right now it's equal reps and uh, we'll just see how it plays out. With Max not being here I assume you're going to lean heavily on X Carlton and Van Fillinger. Do you feel like those guys are ready to take the step? Yep, they are and they had a uh, good uh, experience last year and so even though they're true freshmen on the roster they're not true freshmen experience wise and you add Miki Sugutaronga to that group, he'll be the fourth guy and uh, that's what we're going to go with and we'll you know, figure out who's going to be number five and six as we go through fall camp.
0: how valuable is it in a quarterback competition to have a guy like Nick Ford there at center uh, kind of as that as that leader
1: yeah having nick Ford at center is a valuable situation no matter what the circumstances and he's he is one of our team leaders without a doubt he's voted team captain now we'll re-vote in a couple weeks for fall captains but as of right now he's a captain he's uh our veteran old lineman he started and and played exceptionally well in a bunch of games for us through his career here we're elated that he came back and uh he's uh done a great job of leading all summer long and he uh, picked up today uh, right where he left off uh, in summer workouts Who who are some of the guys you're looking at
0: at that other safety uh, spot next to Vontae Davis?
1: Uh, We got Cole Bishop who is very promising, had a good spring Uh, McKinney Brandon McKinney who transferred in from Washington is going to be a guy that's a factor there uh, Kamoilatu Latu from Hawaii is, has made good progress so that's four guys and we got another couple guys we'll see kind of same as the defensive end situation see who emerges as the fifth and sixth safety. Anybody else not here that you expected to be here? Everybody's here except Max and, and, uh, and we didn't expect that we've uh, had an inclination for, for a while now that he was not going to be able to be with us but uh, everyone else made their grades or whatever they had to do to get here and they're here and uh, practicing today. Is Kane Sanders staying a wide receiver? No. Kane back? and Ben Renfro moved back to defense. Uh, ben to uh, safety, Kane to corner.
0: How do the new re- receivers look? I know it's only day one, <laughs> but they've worked at Theo Howard, and Negro McLean.
1: Theo did, did a nice job today, made some really good catches. Uh, Munir McLean is going to be uh, a weapon for us. He's out of shape. He's much like Tavion Thomas, the running back. He's, he's about 15 pounds overweight, but he's got the, the uh, skill set. He just has to get himself uh, body weight where it needs to be and in shape.
0: Where do you guys stand as a team at the vaccination
1: rate at this point? Nah, we're 92% Thank with you. the people that are in camp. So we got 117 is the camp number you get 110 plus your super seniors we only have super seniors uh seven super seniors when you take max out of the equation he was the eighth guy so we got 117 guys and i think it was uh nine that aren't vaccinated nine or eight anyway is there there anything to kind of help those other guys or is it just kind of personal decisions personal decisions and and some of the guys uh from the feedback i get of the guys that are completely non-vaccinated we have two or three guys that are almost completely vaccinated there's the time frame hasn't ticked off yet but uh the, of the guys that have not even started the process, there's two or three who are contemplating. So mm-hmm. ideally, we can get to 95% plus, and that's probably about as good as we can get.
0: Well, any of this conference realignment stuff affects Utah Pac-12 this year? Do you feel like that's just outside noise? Uh,
1: outside noise for now, I think it'll affect the Pac-12 down the road. But I can't tell you exactly how it's going to play out. But I think there will be an impact, but as of, as of right now, no, we don't even pay attention to it. Coach White, when it comes to veterans on your team, who are you expecting to kind of step up and be a leader? Devin Lloyd, Nick Ford, Britton Covey, uh, Charlie Brewer, even though he's not a veteran with us, he's a veteran at at the Division I level. Cam Rising, um, Nephi Sewell, uh, Mika Tafua, uh, Solo Ennis. Our tight ends are great leaders, Brant Keithy, uh, uh, Cole Fotheringham and Dalton Kincaid all those guys doing a nice job so we, got, we have no shortage of leadership on this team this feels a lot like the 19 team in a lot of regards
0: At that, at that wide opposition position uh, you also have Devon Bailey, is he a guy who's going to factor in especially after coming off a really good
1: spring Without a doubt had a good start today and, and uh, he's a guy that uh, has a, a great skill set he's got great size and he will be in the mix as well we got about seven or eight receivers right there in the mix So so I, I know that we ask this probably every year does that mean you're going to pass the ball a little bit more? Uh uh, we think that we need to do a better job throwing the ball this year. That's that's one of our uh, objectives. Now, you know, we're not going to drop back and throw it 60 times, but we need to be more productive, have more uh, and be more efficient in the throw game.
0: There is Kyle Woodingham, the head coach. When we come back, BYU football with Darnell Dixon from the Daily Herald.
2: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ PK, it's time to talk BYU football with Darnell Dixon, columnist for the Daily Herald. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought, and that's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Darnell, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How you doing? Good. Before we get to specifics, and we've got specifics, but before we get <laughs> to specifics, big picture. You're moving around town, you're talking to BYU football fans. Do you think people are pretty dialed in with realistic expectations? Are they off the charts? I can't imagine there's a lot of doom and gloom, but maybe there is with so many guys moving on. What do you think? Are people pretty well dialed in on this team?
3: It depends on who you talk to. I mean, there's obviously a lot of BYU fans who are very optimistic. They've been burned before, and they're afraid to put too much of their, their time and effort and, and attention into <laughs> the team. But I, I think that most people realize this is going to be a very challenging year replacing the guys that left and the schedule's tougher. Um, and and, and I, I feel like most people are expecting in his sixth year that Kalani Satake will have his program to the point where he can absorb some of those losses and keep the team at a, at a high level. Um, does, does that mean nine wins? Does that mean eight wins? That, that, again, that depends on who you talk to. But I think last year, people are still kind of riding that wave from the success the Cougars
4: had last year.
5: Yeah, I'm interested to see how much of a program Kalani has developed because, you know, when you look at it, particularly last season with the softer softer schedule, you know, they should have had a pretty good season. Maybe they had a little bit better. And I think any team, if you have a confluence of a bunch of seniors and veterans, I realize Wilson wasn't a senior, but you get the point that they can have a big season. But the mark and the goal is to have consistency from year to year. Occasionally, you reload a little bit, but you're able to put out a competitive product, you know, four to five years, whatever it might be. Do you see the level of program rising to this position to where it can be competitive every year?
3: I think this year is the ultimate test, and I, I was looking at it the other day. I, I think... Around, I had something like forty-four players had tackles last year. Twenty-two had at least ten. Um, Fifteen guys caught passes. Fifteen guys carried the ball. About a dozen offensive linemen played. I mean, the, the one benefit, one of the benefits from playing such a, a soft schedule was a lot of guys got playing time, and that's valuable as you move forward and you try to replace some of those guys. And so the test this year is: will some of those guys? How how many of those guys can step forward and be? every-down players or play 25 snaps instead of 10. I mean, there are a lot of positions where that's going to be very uh, important to follow, like defensive line, defensive backfield, some guys on the offensive line. But they did get a lot of people into the ball games. A lot of guys have experience. And one of the things Kalani Satake said when he took over the program is he wanted to build up um, – take the opportunity to, to build up the depth and try to to make them bigger, stronger, stronger, faster, but also deeper. And, and I think that that is the effort that's been put forth, and this is a sixth year, and we're going to see this year if that's going to happen. I feel like there's a lot of guys that are really on the cusp of contributing in a major way. We'll see how many of those guys can step forward.
0: So I think it's really key that on each side of the ball – you get at least one, hopefully two guys that demand a double team because they make the game easier for everybody else. The wide receiver who has to be doubled or a defensive lineman who has to be doubled, it makes it just makes it so much easier. Can you identify the stars, or do you have somebody who you suspect will not just step up and be good, but step up, demand the double team, and make life easier for everybody else?
3: Yeah, there's a few guys that I, I think – Offensively, I, you know, I saw Puka Nakua play high school football, and I don't know that I've ever seen a more dominant high school receiver, or maybe even player, in the state of Utah. And he was—he demanded double and triple teams, and it didn't matter; he, he beat them anyway. Um, that receiver group is really loaded. There's a lot of guys that are going to be able to get open, um, and and I feel like that will be important um, if they can get um, Tyler Algier five yards of carry. Now, he had over seven last year, but that kind of, might be an anomaly just because of the schedule, but if you get him to to five yards of carry, that was going to take a lot of pressure off whoever ends up being the starting quarterback. Um, defensively, they've got some really good linebackers. I'm not sure there's anybody there that, that'll need to be doubled. Um, and, and the real question is on that defensive line, who steps up and the thing about their defense, though, and I had a talk with Ed Lamb about this during media day, is they play a complementary style of defense, and they really play off what the offense is doing. If the offense is running up and down the field, they take a few more chances. If the offense is struggling and punting a lot, they're trying to force the other team to move down the field in in 10 or 12 or 15-play drives. So, I don't know that there's a guy on a defensive line yet that is, is going to demand any of those double teams. And we'll see who steps forward because there are a lot of guys that, that earned playing time last year and some, some guys were not healthy um, and, and they're going to get a shot, you know, like some guy like uh, Lorenzo Faltea. Um, he might get an opportunity to, to step forward in his uh, in his junior year and make a difference. Um, Tyler Batty had some good moments last year before he got hurt and, Maybe he's a guy that can start putting pressure on the quarterback. But that's not really the design of the defense. Like I said, they play complementary style. So we're, we're going to see those guys uh, this week and the following weeks as we get a little opportunity to watch some practice, try to get an idea of what's going on out there.
5: So overall, offense versus defense, if I go questions going into camp, I've got far more questions on defense. I can argue I've got questions on all three levels where offensively – Uh, And then there's questions, you know, who will play, but there's more ready, available answers as far as who will play on offense. For instance, who's going to be the restarting receivers? Well, I I understand that's a question, but I'm not really worried about the answers because I know that they could put quality players out there with the Nakua brothers adding to the program and the guys that they return. And so, you know, who's going to compliment uh, Rex at tight end, but I feel confident there. Who's going to replace Christensen on the offensive line? Uh, I I feel fairly confident there. So I guess the really only major question, in my mind, and if you disagree, let me know, is that who's going to be the starting quarterback, where on defense, who are going to be the playmakers. I have more questions defensively than offensively.
3: Yeah, that, that's that's total sense. And and uh, I, I look at that defense and, and what Eliza tuyaki has done with it in his time at BYU. And he's managed to put together a pretty good um, resume of a defense that that is pretty good. I mean they're not they're not overpowering, they're not gonna to be top ten in the country, but top fifty generally almost every year. And so it's the style of play, it's the way that they approach the game, as I mentioned before, with the complementary defense. Um I, I think that Chaz Ayu has an opportunity to be a really big playmaker for them. He playing kind of a hybrid linebacker safety position. Um I think George Udo is an amazing athlete who's still kind of learning how the game works. Um they they've got uh, a couple of transfers uh, coming in in the defensive and backfield that may step up. So, again, it's one of those things where, where we're just going to have to see how it plays out in the first couple of weeks of the season this see because they, they used so many guys last year. I don't know that they can, they can do that this year because the games are going to be closer. They're not going to be able to play Um, you know you're a third or fourth string guy 10 or 12 reps in a game so it's going to be on some of these guys these new guys or guys that have a little bit of experience to step forward and take the majority of the reps and, and be effective
0: I know the schedule's harder this year and maybe it's uh Partly the fact that Arizona looks like they're in such a massive rebuild and they're the opener. But because of the way the games are distributed around the schedule, as opposed to four big games and you got to go to Michigan, you know, week three or four, that kind of stuff, they've got South Florida the first. Do, do you feel like the schedule's more balanced, even though obviously there's more Power Five teams on it? And because it's more balanced, it's a little more doable?
3: Oh for sure and and I think Tom almost done a magnificent job in making this work to the best that he can. It, you look at some of the earlier schedules and how top heavy they were and travel heavy and just disadvantaged to to the BYU but they don't even leave the state until mid October. I mean they except for obviously the Nevada game which is yeah. close enough. But um I, I think that, that they've put a really nice schedule together, one that BYU can handle. But the question I'm going to have, and you know, you look at last year's schedule, and I think there were four games that really in the fourth quarter might have been a little bit uh, uh, hard to decide, like, like it, was, it was coming down to a few plays. And they won three of those games. The one they lost was at Coastal Carolina when they had basically two days to repair. But they didn't play in a ton of close games. You would expect with this schedule there would be more games that were going to be decided in the fourth quarter. And, and as we've seen over the years in the Utah game, BYU hasn't been able to make plays at the end of games um, consistently. So that, I think, is going to be telling with this club is, can they, at the end of games, make the bright plays in close games to to win them? And, and we'll see. I mean, we know that the Utah series has been all Utah the last uh, nine times they've played, but eight of those games have been within a touchdown. So it's not as if um, BYU hasn't had opportunities. And I, I think that as Kalani matures as a coach, as that program matures, they should be able to win more close games and make those plays at the end. And that's something that we'll be watching closely this
5: year. So handicap the quarterback race.
3: Handicap. I'm not much for, for uh, uh, Vegas odds uh Pat, you know that, but <laughs> I, I think that BYU is in good shape really with a quarterback room. And, and some people, you know, they talk to me and they, they say, well, you know, if you don't play some guy, maybe he transfers. If you're a coach, you can't think that way. You just have to prepare to win this year. And then whatever happens at the end happens. But um, I, I think that most people feel like, and, and I feel this way, Jaron Hall has the the right combination of, of skill and athleticism and has proven himself at least in a, in a small portion Um, before he got hurt, that he can be very effective as quarterback. But so is Baylor Romney. And and I hear really good things about Jacob Conover and what he's done. So they're in good good shape. But I I think right now you'd have to follow what Jaron Hall has been doing and and make him the starter. Um, In fact, uh, Aaron Roderick during the media day pretty much said if he's healthy, he's going to be difficult to beat out. And that kind of gives us a a little bit of a clues to to who the the coaches are looking at. But they're in good shape any way that they go. But I like Jaron's combination of being able to run the ball a little bit and and his accuracy and his playmaking ability, which we saw in a small portion a couple of years ago.
0: So what is the big question or doubt, or you have none and he's going to be spectacular?
3: Well, obviously with Jaron, it's, it's whether or not he can stay healthy. And, and we know he's had some concussion issues and, and uh, that that'll be a, a big deal. And you know, when when you're playing, starting off with Division One Power Five teams, that's a little bit different than opening with Navy, which hadn't done any tackling in like three weeks. So you know, it's it's going to be Jaron's job, I think, to lose. Um, I, I feel like he's got some really good weapons around him, and that should be something that, that'll help him if they can get the running game going with Tyler Algier and. Um, Lopini Katoa; those two guys are very experienced. The offensive line through the first five or six guys is pretty good. They do have some some questions to answer with depth, but if they can run the ball effectively and not expect him to step back and throw the ball thirty times a game, like um, like Zach Wilson had to or, or did. No, he had to, but that would be why he took advantage of his skills. I think he'll be fine, and as long as they keep him upright, um, that, that's the, the problem you have with Jeremy. He's such a good. Playmaker and runner that he's going to put himself in, in position to take some hits, and and hopefully he'll be healthy um, after taking those hits. But BYU's in good shape regardless because they've got three good quarterbacks. I think that could, that can help them.
5: It's funny with BYU's schedule, and we didn't do it as much last year, obviously, but everything was crazy last year, so we'll put that aside. But when we look at their schedule when it first comes out, we're like, oh, my gosh, they need to win this game in September or they're going to go 0-4 or 1-5 or whatever. But they haven't really done that. But even still, go and look at this schedule, and I do the same thing. (laughs) Start picking off games that they've got to win. And already, first game. If they don't beat Arizona, I'm in panic mode. They've they've got to beat Arizona one way or the other. So do you look at it as far as their schedule, given what Arizona is, and they've lost 12 games in a row, that, man, if they don't beat Arizona, oh my gosh, whereas if they beat Arizona, all right, they got that one win, and let's see what they can do right off the bat against, obviously, a front-loaded schedule, which it looks like they'll continue to have.
3: Yeah, Arizona is a program that's obviously in a lot of transition with the new coach and and all those losses in a row. And BYU is in a good spot to be able to to go to Las Vegas where they're going to have a lot of fans, um, and and they should be able to pull off a victory there. If they don't, they don't have a lot of time to sit and cry about it because Utah at home is the next week. And that's such a crucial game, I think, to set the tone for most of the season. I think people are expecting BYU to beat Arizona. But if they could pick up a win on September 11th against Utah, and that's a very tall task, I, I believe that, that the Utes are going to be pretty good, um, that would be a really amazing tone for the rest of the year as they get through that the rest of that schedule. And, you know, college football in, in its sense right now, you really have to, to look at it as you need to win every game. And if you don't, there's things that you got to deal with and, and you try to move forward. But um, they're just looking at Arizona. They know they have to win that one. And and then that whole September gamut with Utah and Arizona State, playing some, some good regional games with Utah State and Boise State, that's challenging. But they, you know, the old mantra of taking it one game at a time, they, they better do that because all of these teams are capable of beating them. And BYU is not going to be in a position last year where they could just simply wear down teams that were inferior. They, they aren't playing many of those teams this year. They're going to be playing against teams with good quality talent, and they have to play well to win.
0: I get that they have to take them a game at a time, but I want no part of that. I think the whole fun of it is (laughs) looking forward and trying to figure stuff out. Oh, for us, for sure, yeah. But I look at October, and I think Utah State's got a huge rebuild, so I think BYU's a big favorite there. But Boise State's got a new coach. I don't know what to make of Baylor. They were really good, and then suddenly they weren't. Uh, they got to go to Baylor, and they're going to Washington State. They're home to Virginia. Most of October is a mystery to me.
3: Yeah, that's for sure, and, and they do get, uh, like you said, a couple of those games on the road, uh, the Jeff Grimes reunion uh, in, in, in Waco on October 16th, and, of course, Bronco Mendenhall coming home to Cougar Stadium, <laughs> Bill Edwards Stadium, on, on October 30th with Virginia. Um, all of those teams are, are teams with lots of questions, and I, I feel like that plays into BYU's favor, but by October we should know a lot more about those teams, and a lot more about BYU and we'll be, have a better handle on that. but as as you said looking at that schedule right now you know you're you're talking about um three of those teams are power 5 and one Boise State plays like a power 5 so it's going to be challenging but you don't know from year to year this happens you look at a schedule and think man that that schedule's crazy look at all those P5s and then you see one team in the P5 that goes you know 2 and 2 and 10 or something and so you just never know until they start playing games and and that October is going to be um you know if they get through September with a pretty decent start October will certainly be challenging and and we'll find out a lot more about those
5: teams then So the college football world was turned upside down a couple of weeks ago now with the transition from the two powers in the Big 12 to the SEC and could trickle down to BYU how do you see BYU fitting in in all this stuff
3: Yeah it's it's pretty crazy and I've made my feelings pretty well known about Texas and Oklahoma. That it, It's it's definitely a lookout for myself kind of thing. And it comes at a time when the NCAA is, is just in a, in, in a panic because they can't control anything. Uh, they're talking about expanding the playoffs. All these other programs are suffering from the effects of COVID-19 that year where they didn't make a ton of money because they didn't have any fans in the stands. It just—it's a really tough time, I think, for college football, and and uh, I, I don't like the fact that, that they want to move toward these super leagues and be exclusionary. We've already got a professional football league in the United States called the NFL, and we've seen over the years many, many uh, minor leagues basically fail. I'm not saying that college football would be a minor league in those same sense, but I just feel like the college football game that I love and have and grown up watching is changing. I don't like the changes. But in terms of BYU, I think they're in a decent spot because not everybody's happy with independence. I think Tom Homel totally understands that, but it's the best for BYU right now. And if there's a situation that comes up with one of the conferences where they get invited and the numbers are right, I think BYU can look at that. But if they don't make a move, then they go back to independence where they've been successful and they understand what it takes to, to be successful in that in that arena. Um, it, it's not the best option because you're trying to get access to the playoffs, and and being an independent doesn't provide that for BYU very well. But uh, they, they can't they can't jump back into a Mountain West Conference situation or or even a Little Twelve. You know the the, the money's not as good and the exposure's not as good because you know I, I talk with, with other people about this a lot that I'm not sure that uh, overall, Mike. The, the brethren in Salt Lake, their ideas about how BYU is successful don't always revolve around how much money the school makes, or if they have access to the the national championship. I, I feel like it's more about the exposure and and having a, a vibrant program throughout the entire athletic department. So, I, I feel like BYU is in a decent spot, but it's just it's such an upheaval right now in an entirety of college football. You look at at a program like Kansas, who has. One of the best basketball programs in the country, and one of the worst football programs. So how do they play out in this, You know with, with the Big 12? So there's a lot of stuff going on that, that I don't know have the answers to, but as far as BYU is concerned, I know Tom Homo and his staff are taking a look at every angle and, and trying to find the best spot for them, but they don't have to move in a sense that, that they're not going to put themselves in a bad
0: position. Darnell, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and talking a little Cougar football with us. You bet. I wasn't as enthusiastic
3: as that Olympic wrestler uh, after winning a, a gold medal, but I tried.
5: <laughs> That's <laughs> Mensa <important> Stock <laughs> is her last name. Yes, Oh, absolutely. man, that was crazy. <laughs> uh, yes, and the, you can go look her name up. Tamara, T-A-M-Y-R-A. Mensa Stock and her love for the U.S. is right where we need it to be. USA, USA.
0: There's Darnell Dixon from the Daily Herald. When we come back, David Smoke, Sikkim 365 Radio joins us. He covers Baylor, which means he's got opinions on the Jazz draft pick. He's from Baylor. He's got opinions on the Utes' potential starting quarterback, who's a transfer from? Baylor. He's got opinions on the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and where they can go from here with Oklahoma and Texas taking off. And he's got opinions on A mid-season game between BYU and Baylor. Suddenly, Baylor is the center of our sporting universe. David Smoke, coming up next.
2: Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: Big 12 football with Oklahoma and Texas leaving at the Big 12 and the Pac 12 commissioners meeting. What does that mean for the Utes going forward? David Smoke. Host on Sikkim 365 Radio in Waco, Texas, and Sikkim365.com, for those of you who want to check him out online. He joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at SmartRain.net. David, good morning. Hey, guys. How we doing? Good
4: morning. Hope you're having a great morning.
0: We are, and i got to imagine you're surprised to find out how interested everybody is in Utah, to find out what you know about Baylor football, which we'll get to in a minute, and the future of the Big 12, which is, I guess, where we'll start.
4: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, because we're we're interested in what's going on in, uh, in Provo or Salt Lake City or in, uh, you know, uh, Tempe or even in Orlando with UCF and we've kind of dialed around you know we had Jake on to kind of get a perspective of Brigham Young because everyone's kind of saying okay so what and how does this all work and are some people that have been left out team programs whatever before does this give them another shot or are they interested I, I gotta tell you the last two weeks and I've done this for 40 years the last two weeks I've never seen such an explosion of interest and we've been through realignment we've been through a lot to cover uh, good bad and the ugly and, and this has been unbelievable because of just the the bombshell of when that report came down two weeks ago today
5: so what's the mood around Baylor is there a sense of nervousness or what
4: yeah no there's there's uh, people could put on a strong face like we interview mac rose the director of athletics usually every tuesday Uh, And and we were going to have them on Monday, but they had that huge long to the point where it's just politics uh, in a theater on Monday in the Texas Senate. But, oh, yeah, there's the range of emotions. There's the excitement, honestly, of something new. Although we don't know, I say we, I'm not a Baylor, I cover Baylor. Uh, And then there's the, oh my God, we've been through this before and always survived Baylor in the years when the Big 12 was formed. And then when there was realignment talk with Texas and Oklahoma, we're talking to others and they always survive. And some of it's been because they have great political clout. And then at the same time, some of it has been because of timing. Uh, there's 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 the gambit. I mean, it's like the exhilaration of victory, that there might be something new that is fresh that keeps them a power five. And then there's the, my God, we might end up being a group of five, and, and our budget is slashed 70% of what we're getting right now on television.
0: So is there... Uh... Uh, Have people already moved on, or is there a lot of anger at Texas and Oklahoma? Or they've already moved on to the future? I think there's
4: always been kind of a distrust or an anger when it comes to Texas. And, you know, I mean, Texas, here's, here's who Texas is, and they don't mind telling you. They're the big, rich bully and they like to make sure you know it and they don't mind telling you that. And then of course, when you say that, they're like, Oh my God, we're only doing what's best for us and, and whatever else. And that's fine. I listen, Baylor fans and others, the remaining eight, they understand that the conference right now is, uh, is I think tenuous. Uh, I don't know if the word fragile, I think that could be a little bit overreaction. They understand the power. I mean, even Bob Bowles, we admitted on Monday that 50% of the television value the network the television uh revenue stream if 50% of it is probably tied to Texas and Oklahoma so then you go oh my god how are we going to replace that if you can uh yeah there's there's i think i think there's the initial bitterness anger but i got to tell you guys um even though you know, we know about the history, the tradition, the image, and all that, and Texas has had an incredible year with athletics. Their football team for 10 years has been sporadic at best. Baylor's won five in the last 10, although they've lost four in the last five. And Texas has everything. They have the money. They have the, the alumni base. They have the image. They have the logo. They have all of that. And yet, for some reason, their football program can't seem to get out of its own way. And so... Uh, Yeah, there's going to be always a little bit. And here's the thing about Texas, and it was a quote the day that all this went down or the day or two after. When someone in Texas is, I don't know if it was administration, athletics, whatever. When they said, well, don't you feel a little bit bad about the eight teams? Or do you feel about, how do you feel about the eight teams who are left hanging? And the quote was... Well, honestly, we don't give a damn. And that's really the way they have always been. Here's one of the things that kind of, I think, is frustrating when I look at it this way. They're leaving for what is already a great conference, and that's going to stabilize their business. It's going to stabilize it. Well, Texas already makes more money than anybody else, spends more money than anybody else. But the question, I think, is valid. Yes, they propped up the other teams. There's no question. No one's ever denied that. No team has ever said, we can do this without you. But why not go ahead and find a way to make where you are, where you're the flagship sta- uh, program, why don't you make your conference better? And Texas seems to be in the middle of always not happy or it's not good enough. Well, sometimes you got to look at the people in the mirror, and that might be yourself if you're if your team.
5: How much of the remaining eight united together, or is it fractionalized with the Kansases and the remaining Baylor, Texas Tech, whatever it might be?
4: Uh, it, you know, there was a report that was flying around yesterday, and of course be careful of reports wherever they might come, because if you look back, guys, two weeks ago today at about 2.30, Brett Zerdinand had the story that rocked college football, right? And nothing, nothing has changed Since then, other than it's now official that Texas and Baylor are going to leave, they were officially invited, they were officially accepted, and they're talking in legal terms, well, we are going to leave after the grant of rights in 24-25. I think that, you know, if you're West Virginia, you've kind of been isolated on this island, but West Virginia has enjoyed the relationship with the Big 12. We've had their president uh, on many times, a, a handful of times. I think I think Iowa State, Kansas State, I think I think they're, they're going to be – there's Baylor, TCU. I think they're probably taking or listening a little bit. But I, I, I think, you, you know, when you hear the float, Kansas and the Big 10, is that true or is that somebody who's trying to break apart the Big 12? And we know what Bob Bowlesby insinuated – Well, hell, he accused ESPN of working against the conference to try to split it up, and that's why you had to cease and desist. I think all eight understand their best chance for survival, period. Yes, somebody else might reach out, flirt with you, offer you at least a talk at the table. The best way for those eight remaining teams to survive is by staying together and ensuring that if Texas and Oklahoma do leave before the grant of rights, they're going to get a big check. And if they don't leave, well, they're, they're set for at least the next four years. Now, that doesn't mean they don't need to look at options. But I think that if they stay together, and I do think, you know, if somebody's fractures off, okay, well, that could lead to two or three others. But the conference stays in existence based on their bylaws, even if there was, like, one team left. Really, I mean, like, one team can still be left, and they're going to get the grant of rights. But if you're one of the teams of the eight guys that want to leave – guess what you have to do? You have to pay for whatever's left on the contract grant of rights, which is what Texas and Oklahoma are probably going to try to legally get out of part of that, negotiate out of that. And these eight teams have said, we're not going to let that happen. So even if somebody wants to leave, they themselves face the same penalties and will also then have to write a big check. And I think none of them can afford to do that, especially among the remaining eight.
0: So the Pac-12 and the Big 12 commissioners meet, and they talk for six hours, and they don't want to talk what they talked about. What do you think they talked about, and what makes the most sense for Baylor? What would Baylor people be pulling for?
4: I, You know, obviously, there's, there's a lot of philosophical. Uh, you know, we know how the Pac-12 looks at schools with religion. Um, uh, Baylor and TCU... Uh, uh, are both private religious schools, although TCU has backed away a little bit from even calling themselves Texas Christian University. It's more TCU. Baylor's very proud of their mission statement and who they are and what they represent, and that might be a turn-off to some of the institutions in the Big 12. Obviously, Baylor would love to see... I think what in the if, if you were to look at it, I, based on two weeks of people talking about this, they would love to see Brigham Young or UCF Memphis, someone like that, of Cincinnati, at least be available or be interested. And then I think there's always been this eye on the schools in Arizona. And by the way, I'm saying Utah, if in fact somehow the Pac-12 was to do something with the Big Ten, of course, those are just rumors. Uh, I think right now, I think if they could just come out of the next, let's say, few months with a scheduling alliance with the Pac-12, that brings in more money. Whoever they're going to pay, who's going to pay them, I don't know. I think the, if the Pac-12, eight, whoever's left, can come up with something like that, that at least shows that there's a foundation of a relationship, whether it's USC or it's Oregon or whoever it might be, and, and, and the big eight teams or the big 12 teams of the eight remaining. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to be possible for the Pac-12 to look at the eight teams. We know about the Tier 1. There's like a couple of those teams that are Tier 1. And some of them, again, it's just a philosophical or political thing that it's not going to be acceptable in certain ways. So I think what you would like, this is me, you'd love to have Brigham Young and UCF, two very, very good independent, although UCF's a part of a program, I always think of them almost as independent, and then grab a couple of the Arizona schools. Well, the problem with that is is that we don't know, and nobody knows if the Arizona schools are interested in, in, in leaving what they have. And if that fractures, then maybe they would be. The one thing that Texas schools bring to the table is the footprint in the state of Texas with all of the talent that along with California, Ohio, probably like Florida and Georgia have as much high school talent in numbers as anybody. And so if that's of interest to some of the schools in California or the, or the Pac-12, then there is some value there. The Dallas and Fort Worth, Houston markets are controlled by usually Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and A and M, and so I don't know if they can, you know, if that brings too much to a, a network that hey, we need to get into those markets. Baylor and Texas Tech have strong ties into the Dallas and Fort Worth market, but not as large as Oklahoma, Texas, A and M, and Texas. So I don't know. If I don't. I hope I'm giving you an answer by giving you scenarios. But I, I think any kind of a scheduling allowance alliance might be at least a start of a, let's build this thing from the ground up. There's a little bit of time. There's not a lot of time, but there's a little bit of time to do that.
5: So this kind of pales in comparison, but I'm wondering how many people now with all this other stuff going on care about who's going to replace Charlie Brewer at quarterback.
4: Uh, yeah, you know, that's the... Cr- uh, first of all, I love Charlie Brewer. I I, I love that kid. Uh, he took a beating in his years at Baylor. Last year was hard. The offense was a wreck. I I have at times been bludgeoned by fans about trying to defend Charlie Brewer. I, I, I love Charlie Brewer, so good luck with him in Utah. I love that kid. He's been amazing. Um, but, yeah, no, we – Baylor opens up their their fall workouts later this week. I think it's Friday. I believe it's Friday. And we have not taken a call in the two weeks since the Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC story popped. We have not taken a single call about a position, about a player, about the offense or the defense, anything when it comes to Baylor football. And that says quite a bit about what's been on the forefront. Now, that's going to change, and we're going to go and make sure we get into that again. But it's almost been like shoved to the corner, whether it's Jacob Zeno, uh, Gary Bohannon, or whoever might be the starting quarterback at Baylor, because right now I don't think Baylor knows.
0: So, Baylor-BYU, it's midseason. We'll know more by then. It seems like a little bit of a mystery. Does that – how do Baylor fans look at that game? Does that game seem like a problem?
4: Well, I mean, obviously, one of the things that even when Baylor was starting to play, compete, and win Big 12 titles under the Art Briles teams, and they were highly ranked a lot, and even in the college playoff discussion in 2014, it might have been other than an injury to their quarterback in 15, their non-conference schedule was easy to pick apart. It was not very good. It was not at a level of very good. Uh, it, It was something that was always in the discussion. It was something that hurt them. But I'm telling you, right now having Brigham Young and eventually Utah and Auburn and others on their schedule as a non-conference game on games it is for Baylor fans an unbelievable refreshing and exciting thing because yeah they could get drilled Brigham Young's good Utah's good uh, Auburn's good but if you're going to get into the next level and of course with realignment who knows what all of this means if whatever else happens Baylor fans are thrilled that the schedule has been juiced up. You know, last year, guys, they were going to open up with Ole Miss. COVID knocked that out. That would have been one of their best non-conference games in a decade or so they you know they played duke they played some teams a lot of them you know that are kind of similar and then and, and, and i understand that they can't go start they can't go play southern Cal, brigham young and alabama and nobody can in their non-conference games nobody would but they just haven't had a very strong non-conference schedule and for me as someone who covers them i can't wait you know, this is how you find out who you are, not just because of what you do against uh, Oklahoma or against this year, Iowa State. The last couple of years, they've been good, and Baylor beat them a couple of years ago. I mean, I'm, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad that they've changed their non-conference philosophy because, quite frankly, it, was, it really was. It was really kind of a, 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 a whatever you want to call it. It was, it was a negative, a huge negative. It hurt them. It hurt them a lot. And I can't wait for that game, no matter the outcome, just because it's kind of a it's kind of a nice little big-boy non-conference game.
5: So BYU lost their coordinator and their offensive line coach to Baylor, and those guys all yep. offense, and Jeff Grimes, an old offensive lineman himself, and the offensive line take pride in running the ball. Baylor sucked at running the ball last year. Are they going to be better?
4: Yeah, and sucked might be a positive word compared <laughs> to what word I would use. <laughs> 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 Am I allowed to say that? No. I, 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 it's true. I mean it, it, I mean, uh, it was embarrassing. They couldn't push anybody off the line. They could, uh, I'm telling you, second and two, they had to throw the ball. Third and one they're going to punt. It was awful. And, and the year before, of course, they, they weren't great at running the football, but they had like an extra five or six hundred yards, 700 yards running the ball um, uh, than the, uh, last year. Uh, it was. It also was another reason for Charlie Brewer to take a beating because it didn't matter if you play action. What are they going to take? A play action pass? Okay, they're not running the ball. They can't. Uh, yeah, no, uh, we have been very impressed with what we've seen and heard from, obviously, Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos. Uh, it's a great combination. Mateos is nuts, and that's good. Uh, I've talked to him a couple of different times. He told me that the offensive line, now last year, I'm talking about they have some new guys as well, that the offensive line issue is not so much talent, it's almost an attitude. It's a commitment, which kind of makes you think, are they physically and mentally tough enough to, to be a part of the grind, you know, the physicality of being on the offensive line? It can't get any worse, you say that, then if it's as bad, then it's worse, I guess. But I think that uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, they've taken a linebacker who was an all-state running back in high school who was playing linebacker and turned him back into a running back as a one-cut kind of the wide zone that they're going to run. And and, and he's kind of given them a little bit of oomph. They have the All-American kick returner that's kind of a, a dual-threat running back and trusted Evner. Maybe that gets him out in the open more often. But until I see it, until I actually see them on first and ten get five yards, four yards, and three yards, whether it's back-to-back-to-back to back to back or they convert third and two with a running play, until I see it, I think it's going to be interesting. Until I see it, I won't believe it. But I do, I do believe in what Grimes and Mateos are bringing to the table.
0: David Smoke, host of... Sikkim 365 Radio, Waco, Texas, joining us. All right, that's a lot of football. One basketball question before we let you go. The Jazz get Jared Butler with the 40th pick in the draft. What can you tell Jazz fans, which is all and Cougar fans, except for a few I, BYU I, fans I, from L.A.? I, yeah. <laughs> well, what can you say yeah, about Jared no, Butler? I, I...
4: I know what I said about Charlie Brewer. And take whatever I said about Charlie Brewer, the person, the competitor, times whatever you want with Jared Butler. We had the opportunity. I had a chance to talk to him when he was cleared the health issue, uh, uh, that there was a little bit of a concern about the heart. And and that's why he also left Alabama because they wouldn't clear him. And all of a sudden, here's Baylor, who had been recruiting him. He ends up being a Naismith finalist. We know about the national championship. He is smooth as silk. He is, you know, you, his facial expressions rarely ever change. He's a silent assassin. And I'm telling you another guy. Don't you have Macy Oteague playing with that summer league team as well? Yes. Uh, that kid right there never got enough of the respect that he, that Jared deserved and earned, that Davion Mitchell now with Sacramento earned. But Macy Oteague is just someone that just keeps making plays. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to translate in the NBA, but I saw some highlights last night. It looked like he was doing okay. You guys will love both of them as people. And I know it matters of what they do on the court. I'm telling you right now, those guys are good and I would not be surprised if Maceo surprised some people. I know it's a numbers game, but you see, you know, the kind of guy that Royce O'Neal is. And I know again, it's all about production. They are good people. You'll never have to worry about them. And they're also damn good basketball players.
0: David, we appreciate the time and all the energy and enthusiasm. And we'll remember the running game that, uh, you know, sucked was a nice version of what they did.
4: <laughs> the, hey, the running game was a four letter word in Waco, Texas last year. I don't know what it's going to be this year. But, I, man, I, by the way, I had a chance. I know you got to go. I'm talking too much. That's what happens when you get out of the talk show guy on. But uh, I had Christensen on. Uh, really likes him too, man. That was another hellish uh, player from Brigham Young. really like him a lot and uh, and I hope he does well in the NFL. But hey, thanks guys,
0: appreciate you and I can't wait to see that game later on this year with Brigham Young. There's David Smoke Sikkim 365 radio talking Baylor. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. stay with us.